Okay, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate that. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Uh, as you know, uh, there is my good friend Emmett Hahn. I see you up there, Emmett. Hi, buddy. Yes, How are Hopefully you doing? Got Richard Marshall and uh, Peter Murphy on here as well. Hopefully, their uh, their pictures are going to pop up on the screen here in just a second, and I will uh, go ahead and introduce you to our guests and uh, tell you a little bit about what we're doing. Uh, yes, I have crossed over that finish line. I now have to wear the glasses like everybody else to be able to read this stuff. Emmett, stop laughing at me. Um, so as you all know, I'm one of the owners of Speedsport, and this was our October 2021 issue right here. And the title said, Grossport Dirt Track Racing Gains Momentum. And this is a uh, fantastic picture that one of our uh, journalists at Speedsport, Adam Fenwick, took of the World Finals at the dirt track at Charlotte Motor Speedway. This was the 2020 dirt track week there. And you can see the packed crowd, the huge field of cars, the fireworks, the pyro, the whole thing gives you a great indication of just where exactly dirt track racing is going these days. So let me introduce you to our guests and we're gonna talk a little bit about that today, the growth and expansion of dirt track racing and where it's headed. We're gonna begin the man on the screen right here, our old friend Emmett Hahn. Emma was a very successful racer himself. He became a star racing super modifieds around Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas. He went on to become a two-time NCRA track champion or series champion, super modified champion at Oklahoma City, five-time track champ at Tulsa, and a two-time winner of the Hutchinson Nationals. When he stopped driving, he started promoting a fifth-mile oval in the Tulsa area, which led him to promoting an indoor event at the Tulsa Expo Center, which ultimately became the famed Chili Bowl Nationals. The biggest and most prestigious midget event that he and longtime partner, the late Lanny Edwards, grew into a true bucket list event that all race fans need to experience. I can't highlight that enough. You really need to go to the Chili Bowl someday. He also founded the American Sprint Car Series in an effort to help reduce the cost of sprint car racing. Emmett is a member the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, and the National Midget Racing Hall of Fame. Did I get all that right, Emmett? Uh, that's more than I can remember. <laughs> okay. Well, let's now introduce you to another one of our guests. Is Peter Murphy on the line here as well with us. How are you doing? There he is. Hi, Peter. How you doing? Good to see you, my friend. Peter is a native of Australia and a very successful and popular 410 sprint car racer. Peter won the New Zealand Sprint Car Championship, won numerous 410 sprint car races throughout California, suffered a vicious crash, which ended his driving career, began his second career as a promoter by organizing the very successful Peter Murphy Classic each year at Thunderbolt Raceway in Tulare, California, then purchased the legendary Hanford, California track at the Kings County Fairgrounds, turning the now known as Colorado Speedway into one of the best run weekly dirt tracks in the country. He has just completed the purchase of the famed Skagit Speedway in Skagit, Washington with his partners in 55 promotions, Kevin Redeen and Mike Anderson. Pretty close to a uh, spot on there, Peter? I'm gonna say spot on, mate, you're perfect. All right, my friend, and we'll get you your didgeridoo uh, expertise <laughs> a little later on, okay? All right. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Marshall, are you on Richard? I'm present. There you are. Good to see you too, my friend. Richard's passion for racing began while growing up in Austin, Texas. 
His uncle, Bob Marshall, was one of the first team owners in the world of outlaws, with his cousin, Bobby, driving behind the wheel. A highly successful businessman in the oil and gas industry, he also owns and operates Priority Aviation. Richard has turned his business success into triumphs on the racetrack. He started as a co-owner with Ricky Stenhouse at the Chili Bowl, which led to sponsoring Jason Johnson and one of the greatest wins in the history of the Knoxville Nationals. What a magical night that was. He has been involved in numerous partnerships and sponsorships in a wide variety of open wheel dirt track racing. The most well-known is, of course, Clawson Marshall Racing, which began because of a relationship with the late Brian Clawson and his dad, Tim. Clawson Marshall Racing is an absolute powerhouse organization and a potential winner no matter which racetrack their rig shows up. How's that, Richard? Pretty, pretty clear? That's pretty good, Ralph. Kudos. Okay. All right. Well, I've got a whole bunch of pages of questions here, uh, about six, and those are just the ones for Emmett. So there's no way we're going to get through all of these. But let, let's start anyway. Uh, Emmett, how did the concept of the Chili Bowl actually come together? Well, we built Creek County in uh, 1985. And uh, the, that winter, we had a successful opening season. And our racers wanted to run an indoor race. And I, I told them, I said, everything's on a positive here. I hate to run an indoor and uh, get things on a negative. But anyway, they talked me into it. So we ran the Tulsa shootout. That was with go-karts, odysseys, motorcycles, four-wheelers, three-wheelers. And after we got through that, I thought, you know, we could run midgets here. And I, Lanny Edwards, which run the first World of Outlaws sprint car race, I called Lanny, didn't know him that well at the time, and told him that I thought we could uh, run some midgets up there. And he knew the World of Outlaw drivers. And I said, if we can get them drivers in here, we can sell some tickets. So Lanny came up. Then that's the way the chili boat started. And uh, <laughs> one thing I learned from Lanny in the early years of that, we wasn't getting a very big crowd, was charging $15. I told Lanny, I said, Lanny, I think if we'd go down to $12, we'd get more people in here. And he said, Well, you won't, but let you go ahead and do it. So we went to $12, didn't change a thing. Went back to 15 the next year, and then Lanny said, You know, you don't charge enough they don't think it's a special show so the following year we went to thirty dollars on a ticket as the first time we sold out wow so, uh it's been a it's been a good run lanny and i've made excellent partners uh i like to talk he liked to work <laughs> and uh we just worked awful well together and i sure miss him for those that have never uh, been to the chili bowl and it can you can you explain a little bit about the size and the scope the Tulsa Expo Center and how big the facility is and what you really put all under one roof every January. Well, to give you an idea of the size of the building, the rent last year was $300,000. So that means it's oh, a big... <laughs> No, it's a, we, we tell, advertise a quarter mile and it would be a quarter of a mile on the outside. Other, it's talking about Ventura Turkey Night. I said Ventura probably the outside of the Chili Bowl would probably be the inside of uh, Ventura out there. And that's about the size of the racetrack. But the good thing about our deal is we work real hard to have a two groove racetrack. And there's, I, I remember we had Humpy Wheeler up as our grand marshal. He came in, went down the infield and he just watched the heat race. He said, Emma, this, 
more passion than this heat race than we have at the 500. <laughs> you know, but that's uh, that's uh, that's the kind of racing we got. And I tried to get A.J. Ford to come up as our grand marshal. And I told A.J., I said, A.J., this is racing like we used to see 30 years ago. And uh, he, he never got to make it up. But uh, it's uh, it's just an outstanding race. If you're an open-wheel fan, uh, if you come one time, you won't want to miss another one. Yeah, it is. It is an amazing event. The facility, uh, you put the racetrack, you put all the merchandise vendors, you put some 300 midgets and their rigs all under one roof and enough fans. Uh, I know every good promoter has to make it a little bit bigger than it is, but 25,000, is that a fair number just on the grandstands? We will. Uh, you're just like a typical promoter. You're counting legs instead of heads. <laughs> no. We, we fill it up and uh, we're sold out uh, in advance. We got a waiting list and uh, it really seats uh, 7,700. They're all reserved seats. And then we got, we may have as many as 6,000 people in the pit. So we're, uh, we're up there around 13 to 15,000 people in the building. And you was asking about the size of the building. It's 11 and a half acres. And the, the reason the racetrack is on the lower level uh, they built that for the oil show. And so they put their oil derricks down there. And that's why that uh, lower, lower level is about 15 feet lower. So we had the racetrack down there, trade show and all the traders in there. And uh, the parking, uh, Matt does a good job. They called every one of these racers, find out how long the trailer is, how many cars they got. And uh, that's, that's one of the biggest jobs at the Chili Bowl and the shootout is getting them all in there. Yeah, and it's all under one roof. It's amazing. I guess I've learned how to be a good promoter from you then when it comes to counting <laughs> and promoting how many are there. And, and Peter, you've done a wonderful job uh, becoming one of the top promoters in the country. Uh, you've really progressed up the ladder as a promoter from one event to one track and now to two racetracks, having just gotten Skagit uh, under your banner as well. What's been the key to your growth as a promoter, Peter? Honestly, um I think the biggest thing is, is, is not trying to do what we've done in the past, to be honest. I'm trying to make it a little bit different. Um, you know, uh, I, I think if we keep going down the road as we do everything, um, we're not, we're, we're, we're not going to uh, raise the bar up. We're not going to get more cars. We're not going to get more people. Um, as Emmett has said, like he, the, and the biggest thing is we're in the entertainment business is what we are in. And, and a lot of us fail to see that, I think. Um, obviously Emmett is under control. He, he knows how to do this better than anybody. Um, and it's people like him that, you know, I want to strive to be like and, and, and create, you know, what we're doing. So it's what we do that isn't normal is basically, um, I think, why we uh, um, have, you know, a little bit of success. So just, just that, just doing things a little bit different, not, not out, of, out of control, different, just a little bit, just to, you know, keep people, you know, not, not just entertained, but just excited about what might happen. Obviously every race car driver thinks they know what the promoters should be doing, how they should prep the track and so forth and so on. Now you are one. Uh, is the job uh, what you thought it would be or are there things that surprised you? No, um, it, it is, it, it is what it is for sure. Um, there is a lot of experts on everything that you are doing. Um, um, and the biggest thing is, is I, I know I am learning um, and I do make mistakes. I end up in the work area myself, more often than not, but um, it's not from the lack of trying 
something different and, and I'm not afraid to try something different. And, and but if it doesn't work, I, I, I'm not afraid to change and go again, you know. So, um, um, you got to have big shoulders, evidently. And, um, that's not a you know, that's just how it is. Richard, let's talk a little bit about all the different teams that Clawson Marshall Racing is currently involved in. Uh, you guys touch just about every form of dirt track racing when it comes to open wheel competition. Yeah, we have, um, along with Stenhouse Junior Marshall Racing as well, um, uh, two different organizations. Um, I'm a common denominator with both, but Clawson uh, uh, Marshall started as a midget team and uh, we've uh, kind of evolved into wing sprint car racing as well. And uh, so we've, we've been fortunate to, to bag a national midget championship um, then a, uh, also a, a USAC Sprint Car Championship. And uh, this year we just uh, did our first wing uh, championship with uh, the All-Stars. So I'm, I'm proud of that organization for a company that's five years old to have three national championships, absolutely. Uh, Stenhouse Marshall, uh, we've run exclusively with uh, the World of Outlaws. So, um, that's a little bit different kind of organization, but uh, same sport. How difficult is it uh, for you to have your hands involved in so many different forms of dirt track racing these days and keep them all at the front of the field? Well, I, I kind of created the problem, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> I'm a quintessential uh, race car fan, a big, big fan of the promoters. I'm, I'm uh, on the panel with here too, but uh, it, it's, I think one of the keys is surrounding yourself with good people and, and that's a universal um, solution in all of business in my experience. I've been real fortunate to partner with some really good people and uh, we, we set up a culture of, of teamwork and uh, surround ourselves with good people and then let, let them do their job. And, and the formula has been quite successful for us and we're, we're very proud of it uh, and, and moving forward into 22. We talked about 22, the first big event, of course, will be the Chili Bowl in, in early January. We'll, we'll let Emmett sell tickets before we're all done here and tell everybody how to get them. Uh, most of the top teams show up at the Chili Bowl with five, six or, or more uh, entries under their banner. Is that a key to winning at the Chili Bowl or is that a key to being financially successful as a team at the Chili Bowl. Are you but that would be for Richard, Emmett. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've run as many as nine cars. I don't think we ever will. Um, but it, it, there is a, a fair amount of statistical luck to be involved. All kinds of things have happened and have happened to our teams um, by no fault of our own. So to get to the big show, I think the most we put in the big show was six uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, theoretically, you've got that many more chances of winning the race. Um, I'll be honest with you, Emmett, your trophy still keeps me up at night. That's the one I, I still aspire to. Um, the financial part is that there's absolutely some part to that because there's a fixed cost for bringing a crew uh, to the event, which is a week long. Uh, you got to put folks up uh, on the cost side and in, in hotels and feed them and everything. So um, 
If you're running a different car each night, you can use the same crew, but it doesn't necessarily apply on Saturday. If you're fortunate enough to get everybody in the show, then uh, then it's asses and elbows come feature time. And uh, so you have to bring a few more people than you would just for a single car. But um, a lot of it just boils down to uh, sharing fixed cost at the end of the day for a week-long event. Yeah, the trophy that you're talking about, Richard, is called the Golden Driller. It is certainly one of the most prestigious trophies in all of dirt track racing. The closest I've even gotten to getting a Golden Driller is that plastic drink Golden Driller that ends <laughs> up with uh, soda for me every year. That's about as close as I'm going to get. Emmett, you told me once that there are uh, two seasons for you. There is Chili Bowl season and getting ready for the Chili Bowl. It really is a, a year-round process, isn't it? Even though it's just a, you know, a two-week season of actual racing between the shootout and the Chili Bowl itself. We, start, we really start working on the shootout Chili Bowl uh, mid-February. We work on it all year long, and uh, we've been very, very fortunate. I remember uh, Ken Clapp out there in California with NASCAR. I'd never really thought about it until he mentioned it to me several years ago. He said, you know, Emmett, to have a race that's got 300-plus cars be sold out in advance with a waiting list, he, that's just uh, – when you think about it, it's unbelievable. And I'm just very, very fortunate uh, to be a part of it. Yeah, it is truly amazing. How long does it take you to prep the facility itself, get all the dirt in? Are you like the folks at Supercross? You store your dirt nearby and bring it in when it's time to go racing? They keep moving our dirt. We're about two miles away now, so our haul's a little bit more. But last year, the county hauled it for us, and they're going to do it again this year, which helps us uh, – financially on that end of it but from the time we start uh, putting cable up and the barriers and start hauling dirt it takes us about six or seven days to get the racetrack ready to go six or seven days we could race on it so we'll start here around the 12th or 13th of december uh get through uh three or four days before christmas everybody gets to go home and then we're back on the 26th and we don't stop till they were, we're on the shootout, start parking them. And uh, used to the Chili Bowl was, uh, I mean, the shootout used to be the biggest parking problem. Now then it's got to be the Chili Bowl was the biggest parking problem. So uh, we, like last two weeks ago, we had 1,100 and some entries for the shootout. And uh, Chili Bowl, we just sent the entry forms out. But if we don't have bad weather, the shootout Chili Bowl will be the biggest we've ever had. Incredible. Those are massive numbers. Peter, I'm sure you'd love to see some of those numbers for your back gates at Skagit and uh, down there in California as well. How challenging is it going to be for you to operate two racetracks in two different states this coming year? Uh, probably not as hard as, in theory, it, should, it shouldn't be that hard um, just for the fact that um, I think we only have maybe two or three races that overlap one another. And um, the fortunate thing is, is um, as Richard was saying before, I, I'm surrounded by good people and um, I have good people in both places and, and um, you know, you, you let, you, you let them do their job and, and hopefully it all turns out for the, you know, for the best. So um, in theory, it shouldn't be that hard, but you know, I'm pretty sure it will get a pear shape somewhere there. Skagit has a very rich history. Uh, the new facility you bought in, uh, in Washington state with your partners, 
Um, how do you balance keeping the history and traditions of Skagit alive while at the same time, you know, ushering in a new look, a, a new vibe to the facility for the fans and the racers? Um, obviously, it's going to be a work in progress the whole way. Um, you know, I have my theories and, and what I think, how, how it should be to make it do that. Um, but, you know, we can't, we can't forget the history of the place because obviously this year it's going to be the 50th anniversary for the Dirt Cup. Um, I think the track's been there for 65 years. So it, it's steeped in history, it's steeped in tradition. Um, and like I was saying before, it's not, not about um, just changing, reinventing the wheel. And there we go that way. It's not about reinventing the wheel. It's just adjusting some spokes, so to speak, if that makes sense. It's just a, they have a good product up there and there's a good product down here, but it's just... I think in, in our sport, not just these two places, in our sport, we have to be, be um, ahead of this curve. We have to be in front of what's going on in the world, basically, um, you know, with social media and everything like that. So we've got to, uh, the unfortunate thing is, is our diehard race fans, you know, they're getting older and they're not going to be here forever. So we've got to reintroduce this to a younger generation. We've got to change what we're doing in that respect. So we've got to, it's going to be a fine line to keep keep the old and and do something new, but um, again, it, like I said before, it's just going to be a work in progress the whole way. Um, some things will work and some things won't, and 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 I'm not afraid to you know put my hand up and say, well, that didn't work out, and you know blame me, but I'm also going to ch change it and go go down the road in a different way, just that little bit, you know. So um, there's there's going to be a, it's going to be a lot to do, that's for sure. You and I have had the conversation about 410 sprint car racing on the West Coast, and it's very strong still in California, but you said you want to revitalize it in Washington State, and the Dirt Cup, the Jim Raper Memorial Dirt Cup that you're talking about at Skagit is uh, their biggest event of the year. You used to be 410s, then it went to 360s. You wanted to be 410s again. How do you go about doing that? Is it just by passing it in the rule book, or do you have to do something to encourage the team owners? Well, well the thing is, is... Um... You know, a lot of people seem to think we're just trying to get rid of 360s, which we're not. We're just trying to, you know, back when I first started going up there, there was, you'd go run on a local Saturday night and you'd run a 410 and a 360, like they were together in different, you know, different races, obviously. But um, the goal isn't to get rid of the 360s. The goal is just to bring 410s back a little bit. You know, I think we've got something like 13 races for the 360s this year up there and we've got nine for the 410. So, um to bring the four tens back, you have to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. So it's just reintroducing it a little bit. But then obviously Dirt Cup, it is going back in history. It has been a 410 race its whole life, except just recently. So it's um, been the 50th anniversary. It just seemed like a good thing to, if we're going to try, let's try. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, it's going to be the 50th anniversary is going to be, um, you know, 50 laps, it's going to be pay 50,000 win. And, but we have so many more things on offer. We're going to have a little road to Dirt Cup from starting off at Brad Sweet's place at Brad Sweet, Kyle Larson, Kobe Copeland have, have Chico now. We're going to go from there to um, yeah, to Cottage Grove the next night, then have a night off, then have another track the next day. Um, just so, so it makes it just a little bit more, you know, interesting for a reason for them to travel, maybe make it a little bit better. Um, and then the fact that, you know, we've already got Australians and New Zealanders texting me and messaging me wanting to come and be a part of it. You know, we've got two teams from New Zealand that want to come and be a part of it. So we get some from Australia, then, you know, who knows? And we're going to have Canadians, the border opens up again. And then, you know, it's just going to hopefully just keep building and building and, you know, and then 
you know, who knows what we'll end up with. It's, it's really exciting to see for the West Coast racing fans. Richard, you've, you've owned cars and do own cars in midgets, non-wing sprint cars with 410s and 410 wing cars. Um, financially, how tough is it these days for a team owner? Uh, is one of those categories more doable than another financially? Well, there's no doubt, Ralph, that uh, the purses are, are bigger in wing sprint car racing. And you break the balance sheet down, you, it's, it's kind of like what I alluded to before. You have fixed costs and then you have your variable costs. And uh, I told a lot of people this, uh, for example, when we were shut down for the pandemic, um, to the extent you keep your crew on board, you've got a race shop, uh, you still have fixed costs whether you're racing or not. Um, and then the variable cost, basically the only thing you're doing is burning tires and engines at that point. Uh, beyond that, um, yeah, the person, there's really two sources or three sources of income if you just break it down real simple in an accounting level. And one of them's uh, purse money. Uh, the other sponsorship and the, and the third, unfortunately, is the back pocket of the owner. Um, so the... Uh, uh, the wing sprint car racing has obviously brought some really big purses uh, gradually over the last few years. Um, Non-wing sprint cars and midgets, not so much. Um, a lot of that uh, venue has grown quite a bit with the participation of fans and whatnot. Uh, we have seen some increases in purses um, in those two venues, but not as much as in the wing sprint car race. Can you give us a, a ballpark number for each of those? Say, for example, you were going to go run uh, the USAC Midget Championship and, of course, Chili Bowl as well, but that's a little bit different. The rule book is a little different there. Uh, what would it cost you to do that for a season, roughly? Not trying to get too much into your financials, but just a ballpark. Yeah, you're, you're, you're looking uh, just depending on uh, – there, there's a wide range in all of these sports of what you could spend and actually get it done. Um, Probably the least you could put, run the, the full season on the midget side be about three hundred fifty thousand uh, up to north of half a million dollars. Um, a lot of that has to do with the amount of equipment that you capitalize with, and, and capital kind of gets buried in the in the operating cost of the operation from year to year, depending on, for example, how long your motors and your chassis run. Um, we've, we've run, we've run a, a brand new motor for five races and grenaded it. Uh, and we've had, we've got motors that are three or three, four years old now. So that's a great example of the, the variable part of it that kind of gets buried in the capital. But at the end of the day, a lot of this comes up when sometimes unexpected. So how different is it then for say a non-wing sprint car on the USAC trail or a wing sprint car on the world of outlaws for a season? Well, one of the big differences there is just by virtue of the wing itself, you're putting so much more downforce uh, to the racetrack and that motor is wor working twice as hard on a wing sprinter. Uh, with that said, we usually get about half the number of nights out of the freshen on the engine uh, on a wing, wing team as we do the non-wing. Uh, roughly, 10 or so races will we'll freshen the motor on the wing side and we may get 20 out of a non-wing car. Um, the other part of it is the travel. I mean, the USAC 
non-wing sprint car uh, series is, is largely um, a Midwest-based series. Uh, we only go to the West Coast once a year, whereas the World of Outlaws, for example, you run in 90 events coast to coast. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't do it in a perfect circle or anything. They zigzag the country. So uh, unfortunately, also, the increase in diesel prices, you throw all that in, and you really have two different animals, the same sport, but on the cost side, you've got a completely different um, set of metrics there, in my opinion. Like any good team owner, you're wearing your sponsor's logo proudly on your shirt there. You have a great partnership with the folks at NOS Energy. Uh, they've been a big part of your organization for quite a while and a big part of dirt track racing. So as a businessman yourself, when you go talk, trying to hunt sponsorship dollars for dirt track racing, uh, what's the response you get and how do you go about selling dirt track racing? Are you seeing favorable responses from folks outside of just NOS? Well, we, we are and uh, it's, gosh, there's so many aspects. Um, call that a loaded question, if you will. But um, first of all, I want to give props and, and kudos to the, my fellow panelists here, the promoters. Um, and, and kind of alluding to what Peter was saying earlier is the innovation part of this. Creating a, a new and fresh product on an ongoing basis is a challenge. Um, obviously, what we bring to the racetrack between the, the drivers and the equipment and the crew and the kind of show we put on uh, falls on, on the owners and um, the team's shoulders quite a bit. But just setting up the right venue, promoting it properly helps us all. I bring that up because that's part of what you're selling to a sponsor is what kind of exposure they're going to get. So these guys that are working overtime, uh, as, as uh, Emmett said, I mean, months and months ahead of time to fill the grandstands uh, and, and create a marquee event certainly helps us when we go to have that conversation with the sponsors. The other thing I'll note is when we talk to new, new entrants to the sport or new sponsors, uh, we always ask them, what, you know, what are you looking for out of this? Um, a lot of them begin as just race fans and they, they see the excitement around our sport, which is growing, has been growing for several years now. Um, they, they see the grassroots community coming up. They see how well the, the fans can interface with their, you know, their, their favorite driver. They like a lot of those aspects. And with that said, that question is answered in many ways. Oftentimes, uh, some of them just want to be a part of the team. Others want to entertain customers. Uh, branding is a big one. That's one we get quite a bit. So you, you, you intertwine social media, for example, with what we're creating and you, you use that as a metric for how, how much your outreach is and what are those sponsor dollars really worth? The other thing we're seeing over and over again uh, in, in sanctioning bodies like USAC, like the World of Outlaws, have done a pretty good job of tracking this. But what we found is that the fans are fiercely loyal to the products that are sponsored or displayed on the side of that race car. That right there is as big of a selling point as, as I've come across. It's not just a, a latent uh, 
picture of a car going by that a certain logo on it or something, people are actually engaged and they appreciate, if they're a strong fan like me, they appreciate that XYZ company came out of their pocket to take a chance on the sport. It's all symbiotic. It's what keeps it going. Um, and we obviously, unless you just want to keep playing the lottery, uh, all of us have to have sponsors. Yeah, absolutely. Emmett, you're in a very unique situation. You have an event with the Chili Bowl that is obviously huge. It's a bucket list event. Like I mentioned, everybody wants to see it, but you still have a lot of traditional fans that come each and every year. And I'm sure you hear from them about things that they want to see at the Chili Bowl, whether it's a new, new fangled something. What types of things are you hearing from the fans? How do you keep a huge event like the Chili Bowl new and exciting each and every year? Well, I wish I could answer that. My wife's the one that usually gets all them questions and then she kind of brings them to me. But we, we've just made minor changes. Uh, the one main thing that's happened at the Chili Bowl is the county has spent uh, hundreds of thousand dollars on the uh, ventilation in that building. So the air quality in there is uh, 100% better than it was 15 years ago. And uh, that's, that's the number one priority. I know last year we all wore masks and uh, you hear these people after the chili bowl say, well, I'm gonna go home and get the chili bowl flu. Well, that's one thing I've heard this year. They wore them masks and nobody had no chili bowl flu. So uh, I think you'll see some more masks in there when they're racing this year, but uh, it's just been the whole chili bowl. Uh, Lanny and I both said it. We wasn't smart, smart enough to create it. We just need to be smart enough not to mess it up. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys have done a great job of that. Yeah, and and he was talking about the, the dirt track fans. I remember years ago down at Charlotte when Humpy was down there, they'd give us an award or something down there. And I, and I told Humpy, that was when the crowd was pretty good, starting to taper off a little bit. And I told Humpy then, I said, you know what, Humpy? I said, what made NASCAR was short track fans. And I said, now then, up there in your stands right now, you're probably 40% dirt track fans and 60% TV fans. And the TV fans are not as near as loyal as our dirt track. So and I think you've seen this. I, I know they wasn't real crazy about Kyle going out and racing several years ago. But now then you look on there and it's got HendricksCars.com. And I think some of the NASCAR people is uh, seeing the fact that uh, their driver can go out and run some dirt or pavement, any, anything on the short track. And I think it's a win-win for the promoters on the short track. And I, and I think it helps NASCAR. So uh, I, I think that's, a, that's one thing that's a big plus. Yeah, absolutely. We got Chase Elliott racing now uh, and Alex Bowman and Ricky Stenhouse's numerous NASCAR stars, uh, Santino Ferrucci. Uh, the IndyCar driver has showed up at the Chili Bowl. So it's yeah. not just NASCAR drivers. Uh, we've seen Ron Caps and Gary Selzy at the Chili Bowl. Even drag racers showing up there. So, uh, what, Emmett, you've seen dirt track racing for numerous decades now. If you had to say there's one reason why it's really coming on strong currently, what do you think it is? Well, I think, uh, I think the sprint cars and the midgets, uh, I mean – the World of Outlaws is uh, is a fantastic show. 
But I tell you what, the guys that put the all-stars up there, I watch them uh, every chance I get, and they they got a good quality show. They've got some quality racers in there, and I think when you have that just night after night after night, then that's going to create some fans. Peter, what's going to be the key for you to attract fans to Skagit and, and also Keller um, th this summer? I mean, there's so many things that people have to think about with their discretionary income. you got big Marvel movies in the summertime. You, you've got minor league baseball teams that have built outstanding facilities. Uh, there's other stick and ball sports and other racetracks. How do you get them to come to a dirt track? Um, it's a good question. I think, um, <clears throat> I think it comes back to what we talked about before, social media, what we do today. Um, you know, it's, it's so far different to what it, you know, used to be done even 10 years ago, five years ago, it's changed so much, um, with what you can get on your phone now. Like it's just bordering on ridiculous what, what's available. But, um, and, and the fact is, um, everyone wants instant results straight away. They want to know everything that's going on. So it's a matter of, um, trying to, to be on top of that point and, and do what they want and, and go down that road. Um, you know, Emmett was saying before, like even like the all-stars, they, they put on a good show and, and it, it is a show, um, you know, and why, why you know, dirt tracks and, and short tracks are possibly, you know, gaining such popularity is because it, it you know, not, not saying anything bad about NASCAR, but NASCAR, it goes for so long, you know, we're talking how many hours does it go for where, where you know, like the chili bowl is like bang, bang, it's, the feature race is done in, you know, basically minutes, you know, in, in reality. So um, I think we just got to quicken things up a little bit and, and but be open to, to the crowd and, and the fans and, and family, make it a family atmosphere. And, and Richard said before, interaction with the drivers to the, to the fans. We've got to, we got to, we can't just have them in the cars and, and you see the helmets go by. We need them to know what they look like. We need to be able to, you know, shake their hands. At, at my place at, down at Hanford, you know, we built the, even the, the race, when we put the race on at, um, at Tulare, we built the grandstand, or not the grandstand, but we built the podium. So it's right there. If you're in row one in the grandstand, we have champagne, we have nice, pretty girls. You know, when, they, when the winners get their, their trophies and, and there's, there's old school is going backwards to the champagne. Back in the day, this is what we did all the time. So we brought that back and we, and, you know, if you're in, in row one, you get, you get covered in champagne and you're like, Oh, I was a part of that. You know, like you go home and it's just, it changes everything about what you just think of it. Like, I, I think we just got to keep doing them sort of things. Um, just keeping them involved. They've got to be, it's a two way street, whatever we can do on the track and, and preparing a good racetrack for a two groove racetrack. That's one thing. So we can put on good races. So, you know, Richie can turn up and he's got a good racetrack and he can run high or low or whatever, maybe through the middle. But then, like Emmett says, we've got to keep we've got to keep the people on this side of the fence as well. So it's like a tennis match. We've got to do good here to create good for them. And then, but then it just keeps going backwards and forwards. And we cannot we cannot sit on what we've done, as in and sit on our laurels, basically. I'm guessing um, we've got to keep advancing and, and trying and and just just keeping people excited. When you hear from your race fans on the local level, uh, are they more interested in the big event uh, like the Dirt Cup or the Peter Murphy uh, Classic, or are they more interested in a, in a good solid weekly show? Or do they want to just see the tours come through like the Outlaws or USAC? 
Yeah, that's another good question. Um, you know, uh, just going back with a step, when when we first started doing my race at Tulare, um, again, we made it different than what normal stuff is. Like, you know, we, we brought in the pole shuffle. We, we had different, if it was a two-day show, then, you know, what you did the first day, worked on for the second day, like so many got locked in maybe to the pole shuffle and then, you know, wherever you finish in the main, then you start out of one. If you finish fifth, you know, you weren't locked in, you start out of one the next day in the heat and so on and so on. It did. People, um, and then we moved everything to the middle, like, again, back in Australia, you know, where back in the World Series sprint car days, you know, they used to, everyone lined up in the middle and that's where you'd push off for qualifying. And it just, again, it just created atmosphere. So, you know, we try to do something like that. And it, it's just something I think we're sadly lacking in a lot of our um, areas that we, we do. Obviously, I'm, I'm trying not to, you know, these guys don't lack in that area, but... We need to work on it a lot, though. I think we got to keep the atmosphere, and that, that's just what we've got to do. We've got to create atmosphere. We just got to keep it moving. Do you think there's a pain point for the racing fan, for the family of four uh, coming to the track? Uh, yeah, no, I, think, I, I think. Um, I think for us, we got to change it a little bit. Um, I think, and again, this could be wrong, um, but my way of thinking right now is we need to make a you know. A, package deal like make something all inclusive or something yeah i'm I not sure exactly what to do but we've we've got to change it a little bit to to make it more um inviting for a family and you know again so we've got to we've got to do things a bit different i i'm a big formula one fan i love how they do things and everything's you know um you know when they qualify they, they've got 15 minutes to qualify the first group and then some get knocked out and then down to 10 or whatever you know so I think there's so much we can learn from other sports. I think the problem, and it's not that these cats here have this problem, but as a whole, we, we need to look at other sports. We can't just look at what we do. We can't just look within our sport. We've got to look at, again, Formula One, but we've got to look at Monster Energy Motocross. We've got to, yeah, how they do things, how they, it's not laps on in heats, it's, it's time and all that kind of stuff. I don't see why we can't do something along them lines to, to make it so um, everything we do is more choreographed done when we meant to be done you know obviously dirt track racing and, and short track racing there's so many things out of our control um you know this we just got to try our best and, and try to be choreographed i think and just create a different view of what we're doing that's really interesting uh, richard we we can't have fans of the grandstands if we don't have cars on the track um when you talk to other successful businessmen um how do you tell them you know, what do you tell them maybe is a better question as to why they should get involved as a potential car owner in open wheel dirt track racing as opposed to stick and ball or another form of motorsports? Well, I, I think the root of it, and I'm a little bit jaded on this because I've been a race fan since I was probably a toddler. Uh, so you, it has to start with a love for the sport. Uh, one reason being you're not going to get rich as an owner. Uh, you're, it's a great way to, uh, as what do they say in Napa Valley, is a great way to become a millionaire to show up with 10. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of feel that way about racing as well. And no doubt there are uh, owners out there that have done it profitably, but uh, if that's your reason to enter the venue, then I would say you're probably in the wrong place. So this is a sport of passion. Um, some of the other stick and ball sports economically, like you're talking about, 
just owning a franchise is, is a valuable thing. And most people don't realize how few sports franchises actually cash flow. So uh, year in, year out, most of them are not. Uh, the, the limited number of franchises is what keeps the value uh, for like an NFL or a, a major league baseball franchise. Uh, not so much the case in, in racing. So with that said, uh, a guy with some money, uh, a little bit of knowledge of the sport can, can buy some race cars, hire some guys to put them together, go hire a rock star driver and you're in business. Um, so I, I think I almost want to redirect the question to, to your passion. Uh, you got to be here for the right reasons. And almighty dollar is not it. Yeah. Um, but we got to have some of that to make it so that you can be there. Because obviously the wallet runs out eventually. Uh, what's the biggest thing as a car owner that you need right now? Or as you look into the future, to stay as involved as you are, what has to happen from the car owner side to keep it viable, not just your passion? Well, that, that's a fair question. Um, obviously the purses have to, have to be there, especially for a traveling series um, where you, you introduce miles on the road, uh, hotel rooms, meals, that kind of thing. We've got to have a purse and not just uh, the big number for the winner, we've, we've got to, and I, I think a couple of the, the sanctioning bodies have done a good job at this the last couple of years is, is getting the purse deeper in the field. Not everybody's gonna win the race, obviously. And, um, you know, those for those, you know, to, to fill a team, uh, fill a, a, uh, the racetrack for the final event, you, you, you know, nobody would come watch if there are eight or 10 cars out there. So we've got it. We've got to keep those uh, lesser funded teams on the road. So the purse is certainly one part of it. Um, filling the grandstands and, and the broadcasts and everything is, is obviously the, the tip of the iceberg for getting those sponsors excited to sponsor any one of the cars on, a, say, a 24-car field. So uh, let, let's, you know, there, there's, there's no secret here. This is, the sport costs a lot of money. Uh, it is not getting any cheaper. Uh, one of the challenges is, is to keep the purses and, and somehow keep sponsors' uh, spends in line um, as, along with the inflation that unfortunately we're having to deal with in our sport like everybody else is in their business. Richard, uh, you and the Clawson Marshall team have done an amazing job when it comes to preparation, presentation, and hospitality and that's not just corporate hospitality that's racer friend hospitality when it comes to events like chili bowl knoxville uh, even here at the world finals you're you're the back of your trailer is always open if you will for a lack of a better way of putting it uh how important is that um as an organization to set a vibe that way uh, a feel an image for what clonston marshall racing is who the people are and what you get when you become a part of it. You know, that's a, that's a, boy, you got some loaded ones today. <laughs> I'm having to reconstruct the economics of racing and now we're into psychology. How about that? No, uh, 
I, one, one of our goals at Clawson Marshall Racing when, when Tim Clawson and I got together was we wanted to maintain a fat family atmosphere. Chili Bowl is a great example. Uh, we've done that since day one when I was involved in it for a lot of reasons. First of all, you want to make your sponsors feel at home. You want them to be appreciated. Uh, you want them to be comfortable as well. Um, as we bring new racers in, and we all know in midget racing, it's, it's more of an entry level venue. We've got younger racers. We want the families to feel welcome also. Uh, so those are, those are big elements. Uh, the, the other kind of branching out, like you talk about the, the nationals or anything, um, I, I think networking uh, can't be underestimated in this business like any. It's all about who you know. A great example is uh, our family car. I think we won a feature one night at Devil's Bowl in, in Dallas, Texas, and who would be there but uh, Raymond Beetle was watching from the grandstands. He shows up in the pits 30 minutes later and he says, you, that's a great looking race car and y'all are fast as heck. How do I sponsor this car? So, you know, the, the, the fact that you never know who's gonna be at the races, you never know who's gonna walk in and start talking to your team and how you present your team and, and, and the vibe you give off. Um, you, you've gotta be ready 100% of the time for that aha moment. Yeah, absolutely. We're down to the final few minutes here, and I want to I want to go through the cycle once more and make sure I hit on a couple things with each of you. Emmett, first with you, uh, talk a little bit about ASCS quickly and and what's happening there and and your efforts to try to keep sprint car racing affordable. Well, that that was what our object was when we started, and of course everybody know I know the year we started in 1992, you could get a knockdown best you could buy from Gertie for twelve five. Now then it cost almost that to freshen them up, you know. So as a cost, they've got our 360s. They have to do so much work on them to get the horsepower. Uh, the cost on them has escalated a lot. Uh, the one thing that we've got is uh, with our 360 and our ASCS, these boys learn how to travel, go up and down the road. Uh, Aaron Reitzel was one of them that came from uh, – our series, Jason Johnson came from our series. Uh, probably a third of the travelers with the World of Outlaws was in our series at one time or another. You know, uh, Rady Bacon's with USAC, he ran with us for a couple of years. So I think the main thing with the 360 thing is just uh, it's a, a feeding ground for, for, the, for the other sprint cars. Now, me, to show you how smart I am, I'm a promoter a track owner, a car owner, and a sanctioning body guy. So that's the, but I do want to say one thing. My grandson won the championship on a national deal this year, and I was awful proud of him. And, uh, but it's, uh, it's been good. I'm just not the brightest bulb in the box. <laughs> now, I did, I did sell ASCS here uh, about a month ago. Yeah. And, uh, my wife and I had talked about it for the last two or three years and uh, I'm not getting any younger and I didn't have headaches with it, but I just had little bitty things every day on it. And I love to play golf. In fact, when we get through here, I'm going to go back to the golf course. <laughs> so, but ASCS has been good and I think it's good for the open wheel sport. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, Emmett, put your promoter hat on before you hit the links. Uh, sell me some tickets for the Chili Bowl. If folks want to go, tell them when it is and how they go about getting the tickets. It's 10th, January the 10th through the 15th. We have Monday, Tuesday tickets available. We have moved our race of champions up to Monday. Uh, I could tell you, I shouldn't even tell you why we moved it to Monday. NASCAR has practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> so uh, it's going to make a long day Monday because we do practice Monday and then run a full show, plus going to run a race of champions. But uh, Monday and Tuesday tickets, but we never sell out of pit passes. We got a lot of big screens around there. Uh, we got probably 1,500, 2,000 seats for seating for pit people. So uh, you can see the show and smell the fumes. I look forward to that part. Peter, let's talk quickly. Uh, go ahead and, and tell me how folks can uh, come see you at your two facilities and uh, what, what's on the, the calendar that they should mark down. Obviously, definitely the, the my race, uh, the Peter Murphy Classic, which is going to be in May um, 13 and 14. It's going to be at two tracks. So, again, it's going to be at Tulare the first night and then at Hanford the next night. Um, so that would be the, the one to come down here. Um, and then obviously the, the Road to Dirt Cup starting off at um, Chico and then Cottage Grove. And then we're working on another track to get it up there. And then um, obviously three nights at, at uh, Skagit. Um, so it should be pretty good. Just go to our websites, both of them, and, and you'll find where to go, how to get there. Well, save me a pass. I, I can't wait to come to the Dirt Cup and see it. And Richard, I know you don't have any tickets to sell, but I do want to talk quickly with you about what you do with the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Priority Aviation, your company there, and how you have set up this sponsorship situation that engages the racer and the fan, and it helps get money for the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame. Well, I I, uh, I share one thing in common with him, and I'm not sure I'm the brightest bulb in the box because I, I kind of got the idea from others. Uh, we were at a charity event, uh, actually, that, that Brian Clausen helped start a few years back, and they handed buckets to the drivers and said, one, two, three, go, go out into the, into the, uh, uh, the crowd at the event. And uh, whoever could raise the most money in the, the next hour or so gets a prize. And I thought, well, that's a pretty hot idea. And, and it was all about their favorite driver winning whatever. But uh, it was a great way for the drivers to engage their fans. So there was a couple of goals there, but... The, the real tip of the spear was uh, the, the ongoing uh, fundraising campaign for the, the Brian Clausen Suite Tower, which uh, is the number one uh, source of income for that, that nonprofit. And so we, we poured our heart and soul into that, keep, keep the, the Hall of Fame and the museum sustainable. That's part of it. And, uh, so we, we've really enjoyed that engagement and a lot of the stories and the creative competition that's come out of that. And I think it's another good example, like I think Peter said, how important it is for the, the fans and the drivers to be able to interact. Um, so it's unfortunate this last year that we, we chose not to do it um, in 20 with, with COVID. Uh, just wasn't appropriate. We didn't even know what we would have come nationals, if we would have a nationals, that type of thing. So um, it's uh, I, I just some of the personal one-off stories that we've heard about 
how people, the drivers engage their fans is, is what really, uh, in a lot of ways, made it more worth it for me than anything. Well, thank you. And thank you, all three of you, for being a part of this. Uh, based on what I'm seeing on the clock, I think uh, we're done. I don't know if uh, our friends at ePartrade are going to jump in and just turn the mics off on us. Or... <laughs> no, we won't. There we go. We, we could listen for another hour. We could. Well, I listen, I got a whole bunch of other things I'd like to ask these guys, but I don't. I know we have other panelists to get to. Well, no, you know, Ralph, we'll have to do this again, you know, beginning of next year on a Wednesday. Sounds great. The concept for ePart Trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for ePart Trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing, and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade, there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of ePart Trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. ePartrade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. There are two types of people, racers and everyone else. Racer Magazine is for those who believe that racing is a way of life. Racer embodies the excellence that defines a sport driven by passion, courage, and ingenuity. Get one year of both Racer's print and digital edition for only $39 with instant access to our entire digital issue archive. Subscribe now at info.racer.com.